It's the My Michelle Live podcast. Looking for the God story and news of the day. My Michelle Live news and views. Here's Michelle. Hey, thank you for joining in on My Michelle Live, where every episode we try to look for a deeper story, a message of hope. We call it the God story. If there is uh, something that we can cling to to say, okay, the world can make sense. Maybe we can make sense of this. Maybe there is hope out there. If there's a God, what's he doing in all of this? And what does he expect of us? This is a time where we are baffled, I would say, by media, bias, fake news, and all of these catchwords. In this era, we're seeing uh, things that, that are outright truths being reported in a way that we're all scratching our heads, whether it be a narrative that is continually repeated throughout all media outlets and you're thinking, are they given a script? How did we get to a place where journalism has actually seemed to have died? What happened? What if we could trace back the beginnings of what we are ailing with in the media to one place in particular in American history? I have with us the author of a spectacular book called Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy. In the media, we are seeing uh, something like we have never seen on this level before. And let me introduce you to the author of this book, John O'Connor. He is quite an experienced trial lawyer. Uh, he's been practicing law in San Francisco since 72. He's been involved in state and federal cases, some extremely well-known cases that are a part of the American psyche and landscape. And he is also the author of this book. John, thank you for joining me today. Hey, great to be with you, Michelle. Wow. What, uh, what a story to tell. As we look at Watergate, um, 50 years ago, it's amazing, 50 years ago, uh, like a script from a blockbuster movie, an informant gives key scandalous details on the president and his administration, the president of the United States, resignation, imprisonments, and the informant was known as Deep Throat. Um, And the incident was known as Watergate. You uh, are the attorney for the man we knew as Deep Throat, and he was able to evade recognition and live a normal life, uh, unbelievably. Uh, But you do reveal in in the book, uh, confirming what has kind of been out there before, that Mark Felt is indeed Deep Throat, correct? Correct. So uh, I'm interested, first of all, how you uh, acquired this client and, and what, what was the real purpose behind your, your professional involvement with him? Well, Michelle, uh, back in the day of Watergate, I was an aspiring young prosecutor with the Department of Justice 
And I was fascinated in 1974 when Woodward and Bernstein came out with their book, All the President's Men, just having followed two years of Watergate. And I was blown away by the book, as many people were, and specifically who this character was, Deep Throat. Now, I had plenty of time on my hands in those days. Uh, sometimes I had a good social life, sometimes I didn't, as any young man will say, but I had plenty of spare time. And whenever I had an hour or two, I'd go to a coffee shop or at the right time of the day to a bar and take my little copy of All the President's Men so that I could figure out who Deep Throat was. And I did that not only because I'm naturally curious, but because I thought the answer to the question said a lot about our system. Was Deep Throat a person who essentially showed that our system worked. That is to say, he was an honest civil servant who, uh, who, who righted wrongs and showed that we have a self-correcting system, or is he some oddity, some um, uh, a unicorn who kind of flew in heroically from the outside and did something against his interest? And so I was very interested in this because I had always thought when I read the Post reporting earlier that they had a source within the Justice Department. That's the way to So anyway, I thought for maybe two years about the various clues and finally by 1976 determined that I could prove a case in court that Mark felt was deep throat. Um, I kept it to myself. I didn't think anybody would believe me. And by the way, I thought the Post reporting was wonderful, excellent, the greatest thing in the world. Later on in 2002, I come to find out that my daughter's best friend, a fellow who I had taken under my wing, was the grandson of Mark Felt. And so I said to him, Nick, I said, do you know that your grandfather is deep throat? He did a double take. And uh, I ended up going up to see him and trying to talk Mark into coming out. I thought I knew his motives. I was a Justice Department guy. I knew he was acting as a loyal Justice Department guy in trying to make sure that the FBI looked straight, that they were straight and they would not let the president keep them from unduly narrowing the investigation, that they would take the fetters, the chains off of the investigation. That's what his motive was. In contrast to today, where we see what the FBI did in Russiagate, he was trying to play it straight. Now, the reason I say that the Post, then what happened is, although I thought today's reporting originally was just simply an exception to this gold standard of Watergate reporting, I soon, after I studied this and dealt with the Post and dealt with the Post and dealt more with the Post, I I got a bad vibe from them, Michelle, and they kept sticking my head into the dumpster, so to speak, till finally I began saying something's fishy here, began studying it around 2010 and came out with my book. And and what, um, what I found was that rather than the Watergate reporting being the exception to the rule, it was the basis for today's rule of partisan journalism. Because I found out that unbeknownst to me and other people, that the Post had really concealed much of the truth about Watergate. And rather than it being a one-ring circus of President Nixon, it should have been a three-ring circus in which two of the other rings sort of helped not exonerate Nixon, because I don't think he should be exonerated, but it would mitigate what he did and, and shine a light where it should be shown. So what happens, is, let me give you an example of why I say Watergate, uh, but it was untruthful by concealment. 
So let's talk about, and so let me give you the facts that they concealed basically, and then we can carry on from there. The facts they concealed were basically that both the CRP, the Committee to Reelect the President, and the White House had been infiltrated by CIA agents that were trying to get authority to conduct operations in the United States. The CIA normally cannot conduct operations in the United States. But with presidential approval, all is well on national security matters. So they infiltrated to try to do this. Uh, so the CIA was deeply involved in Watergate, and I believe it was mainly a CIA project. The second thing that they uh, uh, refused to cover was the fact that this was an operation aimed at listening to naughty men from out of town talking to naughty girls down the street. That was the focus. It was not a campaign operation. Even though a couple lower White House lieutenants got into this, thought it'd be good to listen to naughty boys from out of town who happen to be Democrats, uh, the higher ups didn't know what they were doing. And that's the way it started. The CIA sucked these guys into it. They've been sucking uh, lower level guys into other CIA operations before this. Now, what happens is the Post knew all this, and it would have presented a much more, actually, a much more even exciting picture than was presented back then. It, like I said, it would have been a three ring circus because Nixon, not knowing what this was all about, did, did have a couple of acts of cover up as, by the way, as advised by one of the young men that was into the naughty girls thing. And so he, no one knew what this was about. The young man did, and he gave them some bad advice, I think. And Nixon then got hooked into this, but the real, but so here, here we have, now let's think about this. Here we have the most powerful man in our country, the most powerful country in the world, and its most powerful zenith in world history, and we can get rid of that man that's been overwhelmingly reelected by 49 states, overwhelmingly reelected, and we can get rid of them through journalism. Think about that one. So, and, and wrongful journalism, fraudulent journalism. So what, what does this teach? Everyone who became a journalist after that went to journalism school to change the world. They saw this as a good thing. I saw it as a good thing as a prosecutor. I thought justice had been done. But now let me tell you about, let's say, Michelle, that now I'm a lawyer and I've got a case and I can make a lot of money on it by getting the jury to go my way. If I can go into court and talk to 12 jurors without a judge and without an opposing counsel, am I going to tell the jury everything? That's my question to you. Am I? Human nature is, even though I like to think I'm honest, I'm going to fudge it a bit. I'm not going to tell them all the bad stuff. Now, if I tell them the bad stuff, I'm going to put my own spin on it. But I don't have another fellow to keep me honest. If I've got another fellow to keep me honest, and this is the world I've lived in for 49 years, I know the other guy has some facts. I've got to adopt things that I know to be true or else the guy's going to kill me. So I can't make the same presentation in an adversarial setting that I can make if I'm there alone and nobody's there to check me. So what do we have? We have newspapers and more importantly, certain cable channels who can say anything they want without an adversary checking them. They don't, they haven't implanted adversaries into the system. So the conservative person is not on CNN. You won't see anybody that thinks like me on CNN or MSNBC to do some critical thinking to challenge the uh, assertions of the other side. So what do we get? We get tremendously biased 
tremendously factually biased. Now, it's now not just bias, it's fraud. If you willingly mm -hmm. conceal a material fact that bears on the issue at hand, you are committing fraud. When Enron doesn't say something about some liabilities it's got, it's committing fraud. If somebody conceals something else, it's fraud. If you're selling land to someone and you don't mention that the wonderful well you've got that gets water at 20 feet and is there year round, if you don't tell the buyer that the uh, water is rife with toxins, you have committed fraud. People do that every day. They don't necessarily think it's fraud when they paint over the the uh, water spots in their ceiling, but that is fraud. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's fraud, and I deal with that every day. But but now we have the press doing this, and it makes for a terrible, terrible process we have. Yeah. That's what is going on today. I hope I haven't talked too long, but that's no, my pitch. No, this is fascinating. We have come to a place where in America, we are successful because of a balance of power. Uh, we have a balance between media and government, a balance within government. But when there is no balance within uh, the media, for example, then we we're giving a narrative and it has become more like propaganda than actual news reporting. Uh, for me, uh, this book and your investigation is personal. Uh, it was maybe when I was a young reporter, the day the media died for me was when I went into my editor with, with a story and he read through it and he said, this is great. This is brilliant. Yay. I was all excited. And then he said the words, except. And then what he said next changed. And it was the day the media died for me. He said, if you say it this way, you can get people to think like this. I was aghast because to me, journalism was reporting in a way that no one knew what your bias was, that you were equally balanced, that you gave both sides, that you, you, you may feel passionate, but you dug just as deeply. That's what debate is and the much of the same. It's what media should be. Uh, in reading your book, I, thus far, I can see where we tip the scale and it was maybe the beginning of the end for journalism. Uh, right. You mentioned human nature, and it is human nature to want to bolster, to believe, and it, it can add uh, a bias. But within our system, there were checks and balances. Do you think that in the reporting of Watergate, uh, taking out those checks and balances, taking out the, the balance, uh, it, it gave great power to the media that they may not have realized they had before. Well, that's one of the things that Watergate did. If you recall at the beginning, the Post was remarkably fearful of the White House. Oh, we can't anger them. And then one time they got a little something wrong and the White House pounced on them and they just were uh, tucked their tail between their legs and went away for a while. Uh, they but were it afraid. shouldn't be like and, that because it's we the people, and that's what the media was supposed to represent, we the people. That's correct. And they got very shamed when they got something wrong at the time. Just a little thing. It was a very little thing. 
But then when they ultimately beat Nixon down, it was like, aha, we have just proven that even though we get criticized by the White House, we're independent. We can say whatever we want. We're powerful. And so it was a lesson to the media that if they keep pounding and keep pounding and keep pounding, they're going to win. And there was an expectation. And although this should have been, Watergate should have been about journalism of all sides of the political spectrum. It wasn't. It was perceived by many people as proof that the conservatives always lie. And there's always, uh, you can, if you pound hard enough, you can get uh, the conservative broken because we all know who the evil people are. They're conservatives. Yeah. Well, that shouldn't have been the lesson of Watergate. That's not the way Mark felt thought. He wanted both sides, everything to come out. He didn't care who won or lost. He just wanted the truth and wanted the FBI to do its job. But some people took the lesson that all conservatives lie. But we have another thing going on, Michelle. The other thing is that everyone who went to journalism school thenceforth wanted to change the world. And if you want to change the world, you're not a conservative. Um, and so we, there was a natural self-selection bias there. There was the thought that you can have a book and a movie if you bust somebody. But guess who the bust ease are going to be? They're all going to be conservatives. So when Billy Carter consorts with our enemy, Muammar Gaddafi, all the press says, oh, that's just great. This is back in the Carter days where his brother was getting paid by our mortal enemy. Um, but yeah, well, that's okay. He's a nice guy. Now, if we have other misdoings like in Iran-Contra, all of a sudden, oh, hey, those are conservatives doing this. We can pounce on them. So that's the way there was a natural bias. So what happened is we ended up with the press that was all on one side of the political aisle. And we also came up with a notion that I don't know if I'm getting off the track here, but I think it's uh, very apropos. Right around the time Watergate came, there was a notion in the new left that we should only tolerate liberating ideas. We should not tolerate repressive ideas. That's Herbert Marcuse. That was the idea of called liberating tolerance. So there became a theme in America that if somebody is saying the wrong thing, they're not just wrong, they're evil. And, and it's something that the Soviets, anybody that's a communist person would say, or in China with the uh, Cultural Revolution, anybody who has capitalist ideas is terrible, they're evil, it's quasi-religious. So in, in combination with the liberal bias of the press, of the one-sided nature of the press, and then this idea that it's okay, in fact, it's good, it's not only okay, it's good to favor one side. Now you have a witch's brew. Now you have someone that allows Hillary Clinton to sell 20% of our country's uranium to Putin. That's okay. Nobody says anything, don't say anything. But we can make up some tale about Trump colluding with Russia and we can, and all the media just bites on it. Oh, it's there and then every it day for three years. years. And the problem with that, even for the left, is that we know the truth sets you free. We know that uh, science that we often talk about here on, on this program, in fact, Tuesdays is our science and technology focus, John. Uh, we know that science 
only gets better. We only learn more and grow more when science is poked and prodded and challenged. I don't care how ridiculous your theory is. Bring it in. Let's test it against what we know. Let's just bring bring everything that you can at it. And through that is a process that brings out truth, that brings out better understanding, illumination. The same happens with information, with news. Uh, a reporter can go on a going theory. If you're doing an investigation into a murder and you're a detective, you go off of theory, maybe even a bias, but you open yourself up to challenges, to new information, and then the truth comes out. And I, I, I get the impression as you're doing investigation and research for this book, that was part of that process. You go off a theory and then something else comes up. Oh, well then, hmm, let's, let's see how that weighs out. We're not doing that. Uh, at the very best in media, John, um, uh, the DNC, for example, will send out talking points and journalists used to be called journalists. Now they're, they're opinionists will get on the air and read it verbatim. That's why you can go through channel after channel after channel. And they're saying the exact same thing. I mean, verbatim, what's the chances of that? We all have in the newsroom gotten those, uh, those, faxes and emails and across the wire, the talking points, but you used to investigate them. It hasn't happened anymore. And so we hear a narrative. And as you mentioned, uh, it, it's coming from the left and we can kind of see through history, uh, as you point out in your book, how that happened. But there is a detriment even to that ideology because their truth becomes watered down and watered down unchallenged it becomes weaker and weaker so the position becomes weaker and then even the, even people in steeped in that mindset go wait a minute wouldn't you say that's a bit of what's happening now we've gone over the edge so much uh, that even even people in steeped are going wait a minute well that's right and I compare it. There's a little bit of religious, uh, secular religious to like the progressive thinking. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, rather than talk about the climate and climate issues, we have the idea of being a client denier. Why are you denying the Holy Trinity? Are you denying client climate? Come on. Science should be about discussion, but we have this idea that we can shut people down now well, we're doing that with human. covid that's a, another example with covid and and vaccines people who are saying wait a minute let's see what you know we're, we're not testing it it hasn't had years of testing uh we don't know what the adverse effects are we don't know if it's effective and people are saying can we just wait but now you are uh anti-vaxxer uh, why can't I just be a pro? I want to know a little bit more. We're seeing well, it with the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, incident, where still the narrative is he crossed state lines illegally with a gun. And yet 
we have video testimony, even from from people who were adverse to Kyle Rittenhouse. We have uh, information that his family, his aunt, his dad lived in, in Kenosha. And yet that same narrative is being disseminated instead of the truth setting us free, John. Well, think about this, Michelle. Uh, and I use this as an analogy. We can look back and say, oh, boy, look how ignorant the Catholic Church was. By the way, I'm a Catholic. I'm not capping on my church unnecessarily here, but I think this is the case. We look back at the church and we say what ignorant people they were that you, they used religion to prevent scientific inquiry like Galileo. Uh, wouldn't it be nice mm -hmm. if we really believed that the sun did not revolve around the earth, but we actually had a heliocentric universe. So scientific inquiry was stopped actually on pain of death. Now we have that same thing today. I know people today, the elites think of themselves as being immune to all that, but they're into this quasi-religious stuff, secular religious thinking, that you can't say anything against the established tenets of the secular progressive uh, faith. And what that does is it keeps us from learning about things like this whole idea about the lab leak theory. We knew at the beginning, uh, or we should have known, and I think Dr. Fauci knew, that there are a couple genomic sequences in the virus that meant that it came from a lab. There were two CGG sequences in a row, which oh, never now, has ever... Don't go there. This is really scary stuff here. I mean, come on. The... the, the virus comes from Wuhan and there's a Corona Wuhan lab there. That's just coincidence. Look the other way. Don't pay attention to the guy behind the, the curtain. <laughs> I'll tell you how stupid we are today. This gets ridiculous, Michelle. Like John Stewart said it best, you know, you're in, you, you see a river of chocolate going down the street. You're in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And you say, Oh, this must've come from some bats 600 miles away. Maybe. Just maybe it came from the world's largest chocolate factory right down the street. That's the same thing. I mean, here you have this tremendously uh, progressed strain of virus that does not have a lot of natural mutations out there. It's got one mutation, basically, and it's tremendously advanced. And it has two sequences in there that look like they're lab patches that Fauci never talked about. Of course, it came from the lab. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. But here we are. How many years later, two years later, two and a half, three years later, that's really three years later, uh, where I looked this up the other day, I tried to grab an article. I went on Google and Google switches me to all the people who poo-poo lab leaks. You've got to go about five pages in Google, our wonderful search uh, engines, because they want to avoid misinformation until you find a very authoritative article written by Drs. Quay and Muller in the Wall Street Journal. But I was looking for that article. I knew it existed. Uh, and so it took me, though, five pages of Google search to get it. So everything, people are still debating the lab leak. It's just a joke. And now what happens? We cannot take corrective action as a society unless we have free discussion and fair discussion over this stuff. And so it's it, and all the other things, Michelle, you've talked about on your show. I know you get into many different um, variations on a theme here, but that's my real issue with today's media is it stifles scientific inquiry, mm -hmm. it stifles political inquiry and corrective action. And we have 
concealed, and concealment is the big weapon that they have. Now, have we heard anything while we come out with this fantastic tale about Russiagate and, and, and Trump? The real harm was not even so much that as the concealment of everything that had happened in the 10 years or so or eight years before then, when we, we not only sold much of our country's uranium stock and gave Putin pricing power, but we also weakened our country tremendously geopolitically, but no one is reporting on it. If we report on it, the politicians can't go there and they stop their foolishness. But guess what happens? Russia actually took over um, Crimea and Eastern Ukraine. Guess what? Trump didn't do that. How did that happen? Well, I think we know. Uh, and now we're weakening in Ukraine. We've given Russia tremendous power in the Middle East. Was there any reporting? about how our intelligence agencies missed all the shipment of Russian arms to Syria, no. About the way that Russia is strengthening both Syria and Iran, no. About the way Russia is providing uranium and building reactors for Iran, no. Because all that would look bad for Democrats, so we don't report it. Well, wait a second. Our world is getting more dangerous because we won't report on things. We won't report on Biden's corruption in China allowing as vice president, the point man on China to uh, build up in the South China Sea. We don't, do not report on the idea that we have weakened Ukraine and kept them from going to the EU, EU but now is back in the orbit of, uh, of uh, Russia because we did not report so this Hunter Biden thing, can I talk about Hunter Biden a little bit, Michelle? Let's just do that. Uh, that was another okay. issue that wasn't reported and was covered up prior to the election. Uh, there was a recent poll that said uh, that if people would have known more information on just hunt the Hunter Biden issue alone, they would have voted differently. That is proof that we have a problem here with media manipulation. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Now, first of all, let's go to the thing that you and I see as the most blatant issue is just simply hiding, hiding the Hunter Biden laptop story. That would have shown two things, that uh, Joe Biden was in fact in league with his son in his uh, dealings in Ukraine. But secondly, there was this very telling email that uh, Hunter Biden said that he shared his fees with his father. Now, that's huge. And that itself would have turned the election. We know that. But the media decided not to report it. They all got together and they just blacked out the news. It's like we're in a communist country. They blacked out that news. But let's go earlier to the uh, Ukraine impeachment of Donald Trump. Trump wanted investigation of Joe Biden, and of course that was uh, cast by the media as an attempt to, to get his electoral opponent. But in fact, uh, there was a very serious geopolitical threat to us, and it was caused by Hunter Biden's client, Igor Kolomoisky, who owned Burisma and owned some a, a private bank, uh, had been Hunter Biden's uh, big client, and Joe Biden had protected Igor Kolomoisky. Now, as President Zelensky is coming into office, who is Zelensky's biggest patron? Do we hear CNN or MSNBC, or for that matter, I don't think Fox talks about it, who was 
Zelensky's main uh, sponsor, Igor Kolomoisky. He had looted us of $5.6 billion under Biden's nose while his son is representing him. He takes down the biggest bank in Ukraine and has to be refloated. Um, and of course, there's some other things that he does. And, uh, and, and also, he strengthened, he was pro-Russian and uh, so forth. So now Trump wants to investigate. And if he investigates, makes Zelensky depart from Kolomoisky and say, OK, no, I won't have anything to do with that guy. Maybe we could have had a tilt back to the EU with Zelensky. But what happens is by coming after Trump and nobody paying attention to Kolomoisky, Kolomoisky announces that Ukraine has to return to Russian influence. Nobody reports a thing. Oh, let's get Trump. Let's get Trump. He had a phone call. Let's get Trump. So the fact that we do not give the American public both sides of this story, where they say, wait a second, Biden uh, condoned Igor Kolomoisky? Biden was represented by his, uh, and, and, and his son represented him. He may be getting half of Kolomoisky's fees. There's a very good reason to investigate Biden, especially because we did not want to give aid to Ukraine unless they were certified non-corrupt. They were certified non-corrupt, but right before Zelensky got elected. So Zelensky was never certified non-corrupt. So really what Trump, if he were more artful, would have said, I want to certify this new guy as non-corrupt, so therefore let's investigate. But the public was not told about this. So our whole geopolitical situation has changed. We would like to have a bulwark against Russia. Now we don't have it. We are getting uh, less safe every day. Next on the chopping block is Georgia, uh, this, this country of Georgia. Next after that are the Baltic states. They're all in trouble. Are we now going to be in the position of going to war over these states with Biden in there, fairly corrupt? I bet you not. Now, what about China? What's going to happen as China is encircling Taiwan? We have a corrupt president, a weakened president, a I'll say a compromised president. His son's probably getting 10 or 20 million bucks a year in fees off of the uh, investment fund with, China, with the government of China. We have Hunter Biden in an investment fund with the, with the government of China making a ton of money. I think his father's getting half of the fees. It's, he's probably setting them aside for him somewhere. Uh, Joe Biden, when he's point man in China, already allowed aggression in South China Sea. My point is, all this is media bias causes true, true damage to our country. Our it's even power unrestrained, as we know the adage, power corrupts uh, and ultimate power corrupts ultimately so it is power unrestrained and that is the lesson here that if we do not have a balance in the media even if you don't like it it allows uh, unrestrained power and these folks 
don't mind that because they're drunk on it. We've got power. We can do what we want to do, but there are always consequences. I don't even care if you're in the right, that you have pure and beautiful motives still without some kind of challenge to that. We can, we're human by nature. We can easily get off, we off the track. We can easily allow our kindness to turn to cruelty. We I see it in small ways. We talked on the large states, John, but on the small stage, I, I live in the city of Seattle where homelessness is so pervasive that in the streets that I used to be able to walk to work on, um, there are homeless encampments all along the way, needles and human feces on the ground. It, it's turned into a heinous, stinky, dangerous jungle because our kindness has turned to cruelty, because people care so much about the homeless, but without allowed challenge, uh, the media, the government has just run amok. Uh, we need, left and right need each other. Uh, the Bible says as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Sparks may fly, but you become sharper and, and truth sets you free. And we're in a place where that is no longer happening. And I see if we do not have conversations like this, if we do not have books like yours, which to me is one of the most important books that has been written as of late, uh, if we don't have these conversations, John, our democracy is doomed. Would you agree with that? Well, that's right. I mean, our country was founded on the idea. That's why we like free speech, because the founders said, and they discussed this in the Federalist Papers, they say factionalism is bound to happen and mobocracy is bound to happen when you have liberty. It's like, I think Madison said it was like oxygen to a fire. Liberty does that. But what's the cure for factionalism and the mob thinking that's bound to come with liberty? The cure is free and unrestrained uh, debate and discussion and ideas. That is the thing that makes our country work. That's the way democracy works. Otherwise, it's going to be mob rule. Well, guess what? Uh, the and that's Welcome why they had the mob first rule amendment. Two thousand one, two thousand twenty-one. <laughs> that's right. We have mob rule. And look, it's you, you talk about downtown Seattle. Look at downtown San Francisco. Look at Portland. San Francisco robbers are running amok. You can just go into any store. They're all boarded up. They break into cars. There's glass all over the street. But all of this comes from what we're talking about. It really comes from uh, a, a media and communications that cover for all this and don't yell and scream about it. And so the elites get away, the people, the power, the drunk, corrupt people in power. And don't you don't you uh, doubt, but that the people on K Street are literally taking in billions. How much money, if this current bill passes, will go to the lobbyists and the people and the different interests on K Street? It's going to be ridiculous, like on the client stuff. There's $62 billion just for some green stuff that's just going to go right out, out the window. But my point is, is that there, there are a lot of bad motives there, but nobody's checking them as the founders had hoped that we would call attention to these things. And then the public would say, oh, that's the case. And, uh, but our whole system goes down the drain if we don't have free speech uh, and, and open debate and, and have a truly liberal society. The funny thing about being a conservative today 
is a conservative is a person who's trying to conserve a liberal society. A progressive is one who is trying to destroy a liberal society. They're very authoritarian and close-minded and single story, single issue type people. And so they're the ones that are stifling debate. We have asymmetric warfare in the debates that are going on. You and I would love to debate people who think differently than we do. I would love that all day to exchange ideas in a respectful fashion. The other guys don't want to do that, you know, because you would have to. Everything that you bring to the table is, well, that's just fake news. That's just not true. You cannot debate that. Uh, you need to look at facts that are presented by the other side. And rather than saying, well, that's just not true, that's fake news, you need to incorporate that into uh, the, a new direction and say, okay, well, that being, that being true, then, and this being true, what can we learn from this? But we're not at a learning moment. I, I want to bring it back to your book, uh, Postgate, uh, I've actually, just for our listening and viewing audience, I've taken more of John's time than I promised I would, but it, it's kind of like sitting with a new friend. You just don't want to get up from, you want to order another cup of coffee and keep going. Um, there are so many lessons, and I had mentioned this is one of the most important books that has been written in our age because it it, it highlights the the from history, the problem that we are facing today, I thought I would just turn it over to you and ask you to give us some lessons from your research in this book, from the things that you've had to study, the things that you've uncovered. What are some lessons that we can learn and maybe some ways that we can go forward uh, that can bring real change? <laughs> I mean, real change, not just that catchphrase, real change, but we can bring real change and, and, and return the, the freedoms that we once enjoyed in our country. Well, I think the lesson, Michelle, to use a fancy term that uh, the left usually uses is meta. The meta problem in our society today, you can take all the different issues you and I have discussed from Ukraine to the boarding up of cities to the homelessness, you name it, excessive taxes and excessive spending. You can put all this together under one, uh, the root cause of most of it today is restraints on free and fair expression. And unless we get to the point, the real issue that we should all be pushing back on is really media cover-ups, is media supp suppression of information, I guess is what I would call it, suppression of information. We're, it's like a quasi-communist uh, or quasi-Hitlerian uh, era in which we do not have uh, free and fair discussion. And um, one second here, I've got a no, call no, coming we don't. in here. Actually, but, I was going to say but, that maybe but, one of the... Uh, Maybe one of the ways we'll see going forward, bringing the media back into uh, control, so to speak, is after the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, verdict. I'm I'm wondering if there's going to be some lawsuits, if there's going, if he's going to uh, file against certain people in the media and even uh, Joe Biden. And will do you think that'll happen? Do you think that that oh, might yes. be a step in the right? Oh direction? yes, yes. Excuse me. Let me. Uh... Let me just do so. Okay. Uh, I, yes, I think Kyle Rittenhouse is going to be a very wealthy man because there were def definite, the media went so far 
not just to conceal things in which they couldn't get sued for defamation for that, but they did make overt positive statements about him, which were not true from saying he was a racist to saying he shot black people to saying he went to Kenosha to shoot black people, uh, all these things to say that he shot, you know, just basically any time when they get, I think it was Cuomo that that said he just unleashed, what was it? 60 rounds. I mean, that's not reporting. And that was, I mean, he, and where would he have carried it? That shows uh, ignorance towards uh, firearms, but yeah, indeed. Right. So so that's what we have, Michelle. And uh, I think he's going to be a very wealthy man, but it's too bad that it has to happen. Yes. Um, and it's too many eyeballs for CNN to ignore for MSNBC. It's part of the whole narrative. Uh, they liked it. They liked it so much because they could now pin all the problems on the, these wild white people. If you if you hear people talk, the major danger to our societies, these terrible white supremacists, I'm sorry. I'm sure there are white supremacists out there, but, uh, you know, I look at what's happening to San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, et cetera, Kenosha, all these places. It's not caused by white supremacists. I'm sorry. You know, uh, even to paint the January 6th as white supremacists is, is foolish. People were mad about an election. Uh, the Capitol Hill police did a poor job of security. That was a bad day for everyone. But that, that wasn't about white supremacy. So this whole idea that the real danger is is these vigilantes is just way off. And guess what? Uh, that's why they like Kyle Rittenhouse's story so much. It was proof in the pudding. Here's this kid that supposedly has a he's a wild, uh, you know, white supremacist. Well, no, actually, he was in favor of BLM. He liked BLM, and he was trying to help people. Brought up a medical kit. Was trying to protect property. All the things we would hope young men would want to do and be. And he was something of a hero. Uh, would I want my son to go up there? I might caution uh, counts, uh, caution uh, uh, to be uh, a little bit more uh, discreet here. But nonetheless, he's a brave young man and uh, a nice young man, and he's going to get a lot of money. Yeah, it's and, too and bad. I'm hoping that it might be uh, a check in the balance uh, of oh, the yeah. media, because uh, I think books like yours. Uh, programs, uh, shows that can uh, talk freely and aren't afraid uh, to talk freely and present both sides on the alternative side. I think as long as we have the right to do it, we still have glimmers of freedom. I want to thank you very much for all that. you. I mean, there's years that you put into this book, years, I would say decades of, of thought, research, passion that you've put into Postgate. And uh, we will put that up on the screen so that you can see. You can also go to My Michelle Live, where you can get a direct link to pick up this book. It puts things into perspective, and it will help you to see the media for what it really is. Uh, The curtain is being pulled back. We're starting to see what's really happening. And I think uh, Postgate is that final yank. So so we have more of a revelation into the world that we're living in now and maybe impetus for us, we the people, to remember that the truth does set us free. Uh, John O'Connor, an absolute delight. Uh, my apologies for keeping you a little longer than than promised, uh, but the discussion was just so invigorating. And I hope you'll join me again. I would love to, Michelle. And I got to say, um, 
and I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, being insincere here. You have your finger right on the pulse here of what's going on with our country. I'd love to talk to you more about this. Maybe we could dig into specifics where the media is misstating a particular uh, case. I'd love to do that with you. You Let, really are right do, on top of it. As people hear that, it changes our hearts, left and right. I was brought up in a left-wing radical extremist household in a place where uh, the belief was, I may disagree with you, but I'll defend to the death your right to disagree with me. Things were very different back in, in the day. Uh, so I, coming from it, uh, from both angles, you really see that we do need each other. We need to see all of the story. That's how we go forward. And I wanna thank you so very much. This has been great. Well, thank you, Michelle. It's been, it's been a great, thank you. And thank you for watching more news and views at mymichellelive.com.